0: to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: This is what we can know, that God is working all things together for good to those who love Him, to those who are the called according to His purpose, because He's wonderful, because He's awesome. And so we have this confidence, and it's a beautiful thing to see the hand of God working in the mundane things.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues our special Christmas series. Join us as Pastor Brian continues his teaching on Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, in a message titled, The Government Upon His Shoulders. Now here's Pastor Brian.
1: When he's referred to as the the father of the ages, it's, it's talking about him really as the creator. So he is the creator of all things. And then he is referred to as the prince of peace. The prince of peace. And this is such a wonderful title, isn't it? The prince of peace, the author of peace, the one from whom peace flows out from. We have all of these new peace movements and, of course, we've seen sort of a revival in some of the ideologies of the 60s. The peace sign has come back and we see a lot of the younger generation today sort of, you know, leaning toward that kind of um, expression where there are many of them going back to looking like and, you know, some of the same ideas that were real prevalent there in the, the counterculture of the 60s where peace was sort of an underlying foundational kind of a, of a message that was being promoted. We know If we live through it and, you know, looking back in hindsight, we know that it was a false peace. But again, we're seeing the same sort of thing. And man has always been theoretically looking for peace, but yet practically it doesn't seem to materialize. But he is the prince of peace. And so there's a day coming when there will be peace. There will be peace on earth. Now, some people say, as a matter of fact, many people say, Jesus Christ is a failure because he promised, Christians say that one of his objectives was to bring peace in the world, and he's failed. We have no peace. So Jesus must have been mistaken. He could not have been Messiah. He could not have been the Son of God. The Jews today, one of the primary reasons they reject the claim of Jesus as the Messiah is because there is no peace in the world. And if you talk to a Jewish person today, that will probably be the number one reason for a religious Jew to give to you for their rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. They said the Messiah will bring peace. Jesus did not bring peace. Therefore, Jesus cannot be the Messiah. Well, Jesus will bring peace when the government is upon his shoulders. You see, the problem is the government isn't presently upon his shoulders. And why is that? Because men have rebelled against that. And we start rebelling on the personal level, and then it you know, manifests itself on the larger collective level. And so man has, has rejected the rule of christ and in the process we sort of doomed ourselves to a peaceless existence because he is the prince of peace now when you take these things that we've just looked at and you take them from that larger realm that we're talking about and you apply them on a personal level you see that the the foundation has been laid For this to happen on the larger collective level, but presently it's happening amongst individuals. You see, all of these things that we are awaiting in the return of Christ, things that will be established when he returns, all of these things that that we collectively are waiting for, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, all of those kinds of things, here's the great news. These things belong to us personally today. And this is the thing that people just don't seem to be able to get through their head. God is presently establishing his kingdom, but he's doing it one soul at a time. He's doing it one soul at a time. Now, there's, there's been a mentality about us for several decades that, and it's longer than that, but it's been somewhat prevalent in the past several decades, but it's the idea of collectivism. It's it's looking at people as just part of a larger mass and taking away the individuality and you know you're part of this collective group, and your your individual rights or concerns don't really matter. what you need to really be concerned about is the you know the the greater group not looking at each individual person but let let's look at the greater uh, picture here and and the bigger cause and you know of course this is what communism is this is what socialism is it's it's uh you know, the, the forfeiting or the, or the taking away of individual rights for the greater good of the, of the group, the state, uh, the, the specific nationality or whatever the particular group might be. And, and, you know, it's interesting that today, I find it quite interesting, um, many of the, the people that we sometimes will refer to as the emergent group of Uh, Guys within the church, they've latched on to a lot of these kind of ideas. So they talk a lot about community. And they're they're really down on, you know, individuality. They're really down on the the idea that you have a personal relationship with God that that meets personal needs in your life and that you have a personal relationship conviction that you're going to go to heaven they don't like that stuff why don't they like that the bible's full of that it's because they're being influenced by these other philosophies of course god is concerned with the bigger picture but he's concerned with the individual jesus died for the world collectively but he died for every single individual person that makes up the world collectively And God is going to have a relationship with his church. He does have a relationship with his church. We're all part of a larger body, but he also is intimately interested in and acquainted with us as individuals. You see, really, in a lot of ways, one of the distinctions between the Old and the New Testament is that the Old Testament was more of that picture of the collective group. You were an Israelite, and you belong to this, this larger family, and your privileges and all of those things were due to the fact that you were part of this family. But it wasn't so much that each person had this individual experience with God. And of course, as we read through the Old Testament, we find that you know there, there are certain people that are highlighted. But obviously, there were many, 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 many more people that were part of Israel, but it's prophets and kings and you know different ones they're the ones who have a a primary role in the coming of the messiah they're the ones generally who are who are highlighted not to say that the others didn't have a relationship with god but again the picture was more of a collective one now when we come to the new testament here's the distinction that even the prophets gave jeremiah says the day is coming when well the lord said the day is coming says the lord when they shall no longer talk about the God who delivered us from Egypt, but they'll talk about the God who brought us back from all of the nations. And in that day, it says that the Lord will make a new covenant with the house of Judah and with the house of Israel, not according to the covenant that I made with them when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they didn't continue in that covenant, but I'm gonna make a new covenant with them in that day. And I'm gonna put my law in their heart and upon their mind, and here's the glory of the new covenant. And they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. You see, this is, this is the way God is working. Now, I want to say this too. We have to be careful when it comes to evangelism. Because we tend to think sometimes in an incorrect way, in as much as we would sometimes overlook the significance of one individual and we're more interested in the group. When you do an evangelistic outreach, the question is always the same. How many people came forward? Now, if you say, oh, two or three, then, oh, well, that was a flop. The two or three that got saved certainly didn't think it was a flop, (laughs) did they? But, you know, we tend to say, oh, hundreds came forward. Oh, praise the Lord. God, God did a great thing. And, and sometimes we overlook the importance of the individual. Sometimes we can get caught up in mass evangelism, but we don't have much concern about individual evangelism, just sharing with the person next door or the person we meet, you know, sit, sitting next to us on the airplane or, you know, somebody at work. But the Lord is interested in all, and now, looking at these titles let 's look at them from the individual standpoint let 's look at them from the standpoint of their application to us today. so his name shall be called Wonderful he 's going to be wonderful in the future, and we look for that coming kingdom, but he 's wonderful today to me. Now you think of you know the wonder. <laughs> That Him, the wonder of it all, and I think that word "wonderful" is a great word when we talk about the Lord. You know, I go on a diversion for a moment here. It's hard to express God's greatness because He's you know He's just so great. It's it's hard to come up with words, but the Bible has given us a vocabulary that enables us to do that, and I really think that we would be wise and we we would do ourselves a favor to try our best to to learn the vocabulary of scripture why am i saying all this i'm saying this because you know it seems like all of the praise songs i listen to today they know about three words to describe god and every single praise song uses the same three words over and over and over again and i think okay we need some more words We need need to develop this picture a little better. But we can find those words in Scripture. And if we meditate on the Scripture, we will find those words. We will find those appropriate titles and things as we're thinking about the Lord. And, of course, you know how a word Of course, in our mind, a word has an association to something. So you think of something. When you think of something wonderful, I don't know about for you, but to me, that, it just conjures up a pleasant feeling inside of me. Wonderful. It's a great word. Awesome. Awe-inspiring. And this is how we know the Lord today. He's awesome. And he works in our lives in awesome ways. You know, one of the things that I I love to think about is the providence of God. To me, it's just, it's one of the most fascinating things to think of how God providentially rules over the universe. Just think of it. There's over 6 billion individual wills here on the planet. Everybody got their own agenda doing their own thing. And then who knows how many angels there are that rebelled and are basically doing the same thing in a slightly different sphere. But here's the amazing thing, that our God is so awesome. He's so wonderful. He's so great that he is able to take all of these different agendas and he's able to somehow overrule all of them and in the end, cause all of those things to ultimately work out his plan. I love it. I love to think of the plan of God in the providential sense. And sometimes we don't realize it, but if we stop and think about it, if we, if we give it a little bit of thought, we can see the providence of God at work in our lives. Joseph, of course, finishing up Genesis here. And you know, as you look at the life of Joseph, you look at the providence of God in his life and how all of these circumstances that are developing, they seem to be, they just, they all seem to be going in the wrong direction for Joseph. Everything seems to be against him. But yet we find that actually God is using all of these circumstances to work out a plan and a purpose that Joseph never even conceived of. And so you remember the story as as everything kind of comes down at the end, and he reveals himself to his brothers, and they were the ones who originally, you know, initially sought to kill him, but then felt that killing him is probably not the best idea. We'll sell him as a slave. You remember at, at the end when they come before Joseph, and now he's in power. He's the He's the prime minister of the world. They're rightfully afraid that he's going to bring judgment upon them. But he says this to them. He says, don't be afraid. He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that is a truth that you can tack onto your own life. The devil means he intends evil against us. He uses people quite often to carry out that evil that he intends, just like he did with the brothers of Joseph. But this is what we can know, that God is working all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose, because he's wonderful, because he's awesome. And so we have this Confidence. And it's a beautiful thing to see the hand of God working in the mundane things, you know, that seemingly just, you know, you might look at something from a certain point of view and it, it has no significance whatsoever. In, it seems anyway, in from the eternal standpoint. But then you find that, as circumstances suddenly change, you find that, oh my goodness, this, this is amazing. Look how this has worked out. And we see this. We see it in our lives. And, and so when we think of the Lord as being wonderful, this is part of what is being communicated there. Just the, the wonder of his omniscience the wonder of his omnipresence and these great attributes of his. But then he's the counselor as well. And he counsels us today, doesn't he? I don't know where I would be if it were not for the counsel of the Lord. He counsels us through his word. How many times have you had the experience of being perplexed, of being dismayed, of being disheartened and you open your Bible and there's a word from the Lord and you know it's from the Lord because it's speaking right to your situation and it's you know kind of leaping off the page and it's just it's going into your heart and it's bringing you that wisdom or that comfort or whatever is needed at the time and I thank God for his counsel in my life through his word I thank God for his counsel in my life through his people. I call my wife, sometimes I call her Abigail, not because that's her name, but there's a woman in Scripture named Abigail who gave great and wise counsel to David. When David was hastily going to do something Abigail steps in and she just gives him the wisest counsel imaginable. She just says, oh, my Lord, you don't want to do this because God is with you. And God's ultimately going to fulfill his will and his plan for you. And you don't want to have any regrets. And David said, blessed are you of the Lord. And blessed is the Lord who sent you to me. And you have stopped me from taking things into my own hands. And I can think of so many times when I have wanted to take things into my own hands or, or, you know, I've wanted to do something and my wise Abigail has spoken up and said, no, you don't want to do that. And we get this counsel from the word of God. We get this counsel from God's people. And I'm sure many of you can give examples and you can think of times. You know, I have this funny Experience. It happens to me all the time. I'll be talking to somebody, and they will tell me something I told them two years ago, five years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago that changed their life. And I don't even remember the conversation. Sometimes I feel bad. Say, you know, when you said this to me, and I'm thinking, Did I said that? Wow. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> But, you know, that's the Lord working. That's God giving counsel through his people to one another. It's the word of wisdom. It's the word of knowledge. It's those prophetic things that come. So you see, my point is this. These things for us, because the child has been born already, the son has been given, and for us on a personal level, these things are already being experienced. We're awaiting the day when they're universally experienced. And that's coming and the fact that we experience them personally is one of those things for us it's it's a reminder that this is what the future holds for the universe itself so he's the counselor but then he's the mighty god he's the mighty god for us he conquers our foes he overcomes our adversaries and of course particularly the devil himself we're in a battle And we have a great power that's opposing us and and working against us. And if it were not for the Lord's intervention and for his protection and for his defense of us, we would be crushed under the iron fist of Satan. But he's our mighty God and he comes in in that conquering sense and he overthrows the enemy and he foils his plans. You remember how Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Satan has desired you to sift you as wheat. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you. And when you're restored, strengthen your brothers but Jesus is essentially saying, I'm standing up for you. I'm defending you. Satan wants to destroy you, but I am not going to allow that to happen. I'm going to stand up against him. And that's what he does for us because he is our mighty God. And sometimes Satan stands up against us in a sense that it's, it's primarily spiritual. It's, it's, more or less invisible, it's an attack upon our soul, our spirit, our mind, and sometimes we feel helpless to do anything about it, but then the Lord comes in. I remember a season in my life, I've shared this before, maybe it'll encourage somebody if I share it again, but I remember a season in my life where I was just under tremendous attack,
0: For the month of December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls. Global mental health issues are on the rise. Over a billion people globally are living with anxiety or depression, especially among teens and young adults. Guilt and regret are becoming identity-defining forces. So how can we deal with this mental health crisis in our own lives and be a help in the lives of others? Well, in his book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, Scott Sahls presents a practical theology of suffering that will infuse your regret, hurt, and fear with a hope of gospel-saturated meaning. This book will give you the practical insights needed to find purpose in your own regrets, hurts, and fears. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Salls. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we continue with our special message titled, The Government Upon His Shoulders.